Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dr. Nassif, you're prompt. You're early. This is major. I know. I love it. I'm excited. We're starting early and uh, because I'm still not finished working. I got to get home though after to... Um, see the baby in the life. Yes, the baby. Congratulations. Congrats. Well, thank you for making time for us. As Kirby was saying, we are so, so excited to have you on, as are our listeners. Who better than you, celebrity, plastic surgeon? You've done all the stars. So again, we're just so thrilled. We are thrilled. And according to Google, best nose job in L.A., Oh, I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. I thought it was supposed to be international, though. Jeez. Listen, we'll make it global. But hey, L.A. is not bad. How many nose jobs are there in L.A., though? Come on. That's probably makes up like a majority of around the world. You know, Dr. Nassif, one of my friends came to see you and I had obviously like watched Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I was very familiar with you and your work. Obviously loved Botched. Botched. Incredible show. But... The thing that really sealed the deal for me was that one of my friends flew from Texas to have a consultation with you because she had two essentially botched rhinoplasties. Her mother was like, if we're going to see anyone, it's going to be Dr. Nassif. And they flew in and they did the consult and they were like, would you be able to (laughs) fix her nose after two bad rhinoplasties? And you said, yes, I will take this on. I can do it. And literally her nose looks like it was given to her from God above. You cannot tell she had three rhinoplasties. Well, I love hearing that. Actually, it's funny as I just had right before I called you a post-op from Fort Worth and Fort Worth and I did her third rhinoplasty. I don't think it was the same person though. It definitely was not. That would, but that would be funny if it was. That'd be crazy. Dr. Nassif. Do you know how many rhinoplasties you've done in your career? Uh, Probably, let's see, in my actual after training. So let's say after fellowship, 23 years, let's say, 23 years, um, 10,000, 12,000, something like that. Because a lot of times when people are looking for a plastic surgeon to work on a certain part of their face, what they may not realize, especially if they say, you know, I'm a facial plastic surgeon, sometimes they may not be doing these surgeries as frequently as you may hope, right? So like you're doing rhinoplasties consistently. We're doing rhinoplasties consistently, um, revision, which makes up probably about, out of all my noses, I would say, first of all, noses are about 65, 70% of my practice. The rest of it is deep plane face, neck lifts, and eyes and things like that. Out of the noses, about 70 to 75% are revisions. 25, 30% are first times. Wow. Okay. So obviously, you know what you're doing. 
if you're fixing a botched nose job, you are clearly the creme de la creme. I'm sure that you've seen a lot of really, really bad schnozzes, okay? But we first want to break things down because there are different types of rhinoplasties. Sarah and I, we both have never had a rhinoplasty. I have always wanted a rhinoplasty since I was a little girl. I don't know why. I feel like my nose is fine. Oh, I know why. My mother. <laughs> That's why I've always wanted to have a rhinoplasty. <laughs> Your mother, what? Is your mom bothering you about doing something? When I was growing up, she would make me like pinch my nose before bed. I love her, but yeah. I can't believe she did that. That's that's not nice. Trauma therapy over here. Okay, Dr. Nassif, I'm sure you deal with that a lot. Okay, so what is a traditional rhinoplasty and what is a revision rhinoplasty? So rhinoplasty primary comes in for the first time. And let's say, you know, you don't like the way your tip looks. You got a little bump. That means we're going to do something that's a rhino's nose, nose job, rhinoplasty. Revision means you've had something done and there's a problem with it and now we need to fix it again. That's a revision. A septoplasty, which is sometimes you can do a septoplasty and a rhinoplasty, is the deviated septum, which is the partition in between your nostrils that divides the right and the left side. And that's a deviated septum repair. So rhinoplasty and deviated septum repair called the septoplasty are two different things. The celestial rhinoplasty, which I think you saw, you know, me talking about that, is basically a specific way for me to lift up to the heavens the tip of the nose. Celestial, heavenly light. So it's a procedure, just like the, coin the trademark. And the procedure, <clears throat> the way I do it, is possibly different. And for example, if you look at my wife's nose, she had a celestial rhinoplasty. Then we have the ethnic rhinoplasty. And I think that this is actually a really interesting topic of conversation because we are seeing a lot of people get what they're calling reverse rhinoplasties, where they're getting the nose that they were essentially born with to feel more like it's the nose their ancestors gave them. So I feel like these probably overlap in a way. What makes an ethnic rhinoplasty separate from, a, you know, maybe a traditional rhinoplasty? If you think about it, it's almost more when patients come in, say, ethnic rhinoplasty. That means we're specialists in operating on ethnic skin, whether it's African skin, Latino skin, Asian skin, whatever it is. And then usually most of those are deep Caucasian-like, the majority which means more projection of the nose, building up maybe the upper dorsum, narrowing the nostrils. These are a way, when we talk about ethnic rhinoplasty, is the overall judgment of it. Now, from reversing that standpoint, I don't see a lot of patients coming in that have had an ethnic, per se, or westernization rhinoplasty, saying, put it back, unless it's been overdone. In addition, when someone has a rhinoplasty, and that's when sometimes the word revision comes in, is sometimes they want to reverse what they've had done to make it more like it was. We do that many times. Versus a functional nasal rhinoplasty, usually functional means solely for breathing. Many times, most of my rhinoplasties revisions are a combination of cosmetic and functional combined. Okay, so. I feel like that kind of leads into the whole dynamic of when celebrities get these 
very transformative rhinoplasties. And they're like, oh, I had a deviated septum. So that's what happened to my nose. I didn't go in just for rhinoplasty. I went in for a deviated septum. And while you're there, do a little uh, change. So a septoplasty usually can help straighten your nose, maybe. But in general, it doesn't change the hump or the tip. So if someone says, I'm going to have a septoplasty, eh, not really true. Okay, got it. So when that particular statement being fed by publicists in the early aughts, the early 2000s of, oh, yeah, I had a deviated septum, I got a rhinoplasty. Like, what was your take when that initially, you were like, LOL, you didn't have to change the shape of your nose to do that? But again, a lot of celebrities did. And back now, it's more common. And But the point is, good surgery, you really can't tell. They just look good. How common are like deviated septums? Very common. Very common. Okay. So if I look in someone's nose, most patients are going to have either slight. It's rare to see zero. Sometimes a little deviated septum doesn't impinge on the airway, but sometimes it's moderate to severe. And I do some real doozies. Interesting. It's good to have a good air. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Okay, so we were talking about the celebrities of the early aughts, but again, you've been practicing for 20 plus years. I'm sure a lot has changed from the asks to the technology or the techniques that you've developed. Obviously, you've trademarked certain procedures. How have you seen rhinoplasties change and evolved from now versus 10 years ago versus 20 years ago? Well, back then, maybe 20 years ago, there were very, very small, upturned, slopey, overdone noses, even 10 years ago. And that was especially a lot of families that were coming to the office. They all had the same doctor do an overaggressive rhinoplasty. Plus, before we really knew about certain techniques, many doctors were aggressive with removing cartilage. The more you remove of the nose, the more it's kind of collapses and pinches. So now what's nice in general, the last few years, patients will say, you know, give me a cuter nose, but I still want to look in natural. I still want to breathe. And then the celestial does upturn the tip a little bit. But the goal is I don't create a slope. They don't want to have a whosville. No, you don't want to be a who. But you want to have a cute nose or just some patients will come and say, just take the hump off. So again, we're getting into the more natural. And especially, you know, when you do a good nose, people don't look at it because they want to look at the eyes first and the lips second. So you want to just take the nose out of the equation. I'm curious when people come in and they say, I want a rhinoplasty with you and you do these consultations, who are you turning away? Like, who are the clients that you're like, absolutely not, this is not happening? Well, if a patient comes in, like the patients that we turned down on botched, those patients come in my office. So you're going to have patients come in that are unrealistic, number one, body dysmorphic disorder, OCD, some other psychological problem, maybe that are not good candidates, or there might be some physical limitations, or there's smokers that don't want to stop. Or the nose might be so bad that I'm worried about operating on it because of the high risks. These are examples of patients that I don't operate. 10% of my patients that I will reject one out of 10. Assuming they want me to do it, you know, because they can reject me too. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like with revisions, though, you are taking on cases. I mean, I've been botched. I mean, you're taking on some cases that I'm like, how is he going to how is he going to fix this? Like, this seems unfixable and you figure it out. So I'm curious, like, especially if you're doing a revision for someone that's been like their third, third or even fourth time, is there a max where you're like, yeah, after four, it's a no go? No, it's really every case individualized. I mean, I did on botched, I think number 16 or 17 on a patient. It was like operating on a brick. So it depends on the situation, depends on the skin, depends on the health, depends on what I can do, and depending on what the patient wants. You know, it just depends. What about age? Is there a certain age that you sort of start to see a lot more patients come in, you know, on the podcast previously, we've talked about a lot of high school students, like seniors, let's say like you're 17, 18, graduation presence. Is that like an age that you recommend? I mean, I'm sure, you know, again, case by case basis, but you know, your nose changes as you grow older. Like, what do you recommend to someone who is 16 and comes in for rhinoplasty consultation? If they finish growing, and it's reasonable to request, and the patient or the young patient is, hey, you know what, Dr. Nassif, this bothers me. It's been driving me crazy. Plus, I can't breathe, and I don't like the hump, and, you know, I'm just graduating, or I have a spring break coming up. You know, usually the average age starting is 15 for a young lady, 16 for a boy in general, you know, even from the non-binary types, too. It depends on everything. So we operate really on different ages all genders, trans, everything. We've seen that on the show. It just really depends on what we're trying to achieve. You have to look at the whole picture. Yes. Is there ever a a moment for you though, like psychologically, like as a father, where you're like, you have a young patient come in and you're like, maybe think about this. All the time. Again, I do that on botched all the time. I've gotten upset at young patients um, on botched. I've gotten mad. Um, I've gotten emotional because, again, as a dad, especially now I have a, you know, 22-year-old, 22-month-old, it happens. It happens all the time. I'm curious. So you mentioned cigarettes, how if somebody comes in and they won't stop smoking, it's a no for you. Can you walk us through some of the things that people need to know, maybe pre and post-op, that they'll be asked to do in order to make sure that this goes as smoothly as possible? Well... They have to follow instructions pre and post. We give them a list of things not to do. You can't drink before your surgery a few weeks. You can't smoke for at least six weeks. No drugs, obviously. No nicotine or no vaping, nothing like that. And you have to be healthy. You have to have a full medical workup and blood work and everything else. All that has to be done. And then your post-op, you have to follow the instructions. You have to be a good patient as part of, for me to do my job, you have to do that. And if you're not going to be a good patient, then I'm not going to be the right doctor. For those people who may be wondering, why do I have to stop smoking? Is it strictly a health thing for when you go under or is there something else? It's the blood supply to the nose. Smoking constricts all the small blood vessels. So you're at a higher risk of necrosis, which is skin death or ischemia, decreased blood supply, oxygenation to the tissue. Got it. Got it. Um, Okay. So this is an interesting one. We know that for things like breast augmentations, you have to get your implants replaced maybe every 10 or 15 years. 
Is there ever a time where rhinoplasties are permanent? Would there ever be a time where you would recommend somebody come in and get a quote unquote tune up of their rhinoplasty? Or once you get your rhinoplasty, you're good for life? You know, I wish it was that simple. First of all, no one comes in for a tune up. And unfortunately, you know, the three dimensional healing of the nose, the nose can heal weird. So those patients, you got to come in for a tune up because something just didn't heal right. And even happens at my hands. Anyone who says, oh, I don't have revisions, well, that's BS. Every doctor that operates is going to have problems with their nose or surgeries. You know, there's always risk complications. So it's not a clear fact. I mean, obviously, that's the wish that, hey, you know, you don't have problems with your patients, that none of them need revision, but that's not realistic. A wish. The next question was about like the most common revision that you deal with, Dr. Nassif. Is there one? Yeah, you know, the most common is usually overdone, where the nose is basically pinched and they can't breathe. Okay. And the point is they want to make the tip look normal again, so I have to open up the airway. If I had to pick one common aspect of it, that's where it is. In terms of everything that you do in your practice, is a revision rhinoplasty the most difficult? Revision rhinoplasty is the hardest of all aesthetic and plastic reconstructive procedures that we do. In my mind and many other doctors, it's very hard. Because it involves one of the places where you breathe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the small things you do, you can ruin the nose. It is hard doing it. And also the patients. Sometimes, you know, it's a hard thing for a patient to have a nose job. And sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're not. And when they're not happy, it's really difficult. It really, really is for the patient and for the doctor. Dr. Nassif, are there any like misconceptions that people have about rhinoplasties that you wish to clear the air about? <laughs> sure. I think one of the things is the healing. First of all, it's very hard. Small changes can change your nose forever. The smaller you make your nose, the worse your breathing is going to be and the more pinched it will look. And it's something that the tip really, really, really takes three years for your swelling to go down. Not six months, three years. So I have to tell patients, say, you got to get into that. I understand it's going to take three years. You got to handle it. Otherwise, they're not a good candidate. I could see some people not being able to handle that very well and then wanting to go in and get an additional rhinoplasty with somebody else. Yeah, it happens all the time to say, hey, my nose is swollen. I want you to redo it now. Um, I said, nope, your healing has to occur. Well, listen, I even have a video. I show patients about in the pre-op process. But, you know, it's just very intense. It's a hard surgery. And again, when you make the patients happy, it's the most gratifying thing you can do. So you said three years. Three years total. In the tip. Small changes, but hey, small changes are something. Okay. Let's say Sarah and I are coming in for a joint rhinoplasty. We're coming in together, double, double duty. We want you to walk us through pre-op, post-op, Walk us through that experience if we were one of your patients. How does that work? Well, the first thing we do is, you know, my patient care coordinator is going to call you before, kind of give you a pre-discussion about everything. Then you come in, you examine, and then you come in my office, this office here. We do computer morphing, talk about what you want, talk about expectations, show you on the computer what we think it can look like, talk about the whole process. That's number one. And you go say, I want surgery. You come back for your pre-op. I review the photos again, review a plan with you. 
we talk about all the negative things that can happen with rhinoplasty or face looks or whatever. And then you come in for the surgery. We try to get you in a really pretty aftercare place to make sure the nurses take care of you. We see you that night, the next day, the week after. And it's a whole process where we follow you to make sure that you're healing well. And that you're healing properly. Yes. Isn't that nerve-wracking for you, though? I mean, you've done it a thousand times at this point, but I'm just thinking if I'm you, and I'm like, okay, listen, here's literally every bad thing that could possibly happen to your nose because I'm working on it. Like, you have high-profile clientele coming in. Obviously, there's that patient-doctor confidentiality, and we would never ask you to reveal those people. But I mean, I would be effing terrified that I'm going to F up uh, one of the most famous faces in the world. Everyone who I work on, I don't care who it is. I kind of treat them as that nose that's on the table. It's almost I'm just looking and focusing on the nose. And that's all I focus on. Remember, I've I've done so many of these. And um, I try to almost treat like it's my son or daughter on the table, no matter who it is. Makes us feel better when we come in. Sarah and I getting wheeled in together. No, it's still hard, even to this day. So we don't know if you've seen this trend on TikTok, if you're spending any time on TikTok, because I'm sure you have a lot of free time. There is this trend where experts in their field are saying five things that they would never do as a, in your case, a facial plastic surgeon. Are there five things that, you know, come to mind that you'd be like, absolutely not? Well, I mean, these are... Some of these are non-surgical stuff, but first of all, you know, never cut corners, especially a pre-op on a patient, a doctor comes and says, hey, I'm fine. You don't have to do this on me. And I've done that before you get burned. Two, never have a patient talk you into something surgically that in your heart, you know, is not a good idea. Never operate on someone with, you know, a psychological issue, unrealistic expectations or OCD or BDD, body dysmorphic disorder, one of those things. Never, never promise perfection. I don't do liquid rhinoplasties, ever. That's me personally, because of the danger of it. What is the danger of it? Again, skin death, because of these small blood vessels and lack of oxygen. I think it's about five. Maybe one more if I had to add it, you know. uh, Yeah, never operate on an active smoker. So those are general statements for what I wouldn't do. In terms of... If you were speaking to a client and a client came to you and was thinking like, I want to do under eye filler or I want to do Kybella, are there any treatments like that that you just straight up would never recommend? Um, let's see. Some folks in my office do thread lips. We do Kybella. We do cool sculpting. We do radio frequency. You know, we do all kinds of things. We do fillers. We do Botox. I mean, we do all that. We do all the whole facial things. We don't do Motu a non-FDA-approved permanent filler in the face or body, like we see on Botched. We don't do that. It's a legal one, but it's also very good. Awesome. Dr. Nassif, thank you so much for your time. We know you're busy. You have to get back to work. You got to go see the baby and the wife. Where can everybody find you online? My social or my website, drpaulnassif.com. Awesome. And you have your skincare line? Nassif MD Dermaceuticals. Yeah, seven years already. Rock and roller. Just to say, too, I'm actively involved. We formulate everything. Not off the shelf. Not white label at all. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. 
Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts, I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Los Angeles was created by us, Kirby Johnson and Sarah Tan. It's part of the ACAST network and licensed by Vice Media Group. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.